0: All right, we're in Nehemiah. Hopefully I gave you enough time to get there in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 12. If you're new with us, we have been walking through this book. It's crazy to think that next week will be our last week in the book of Nehemiah as we close out this series that we have entitled The God Who Builds. And so if you're new with us, here's what we mean by that phrase, that as we've been looking through every verse of this book and every chapter of this book, that we've been looking at it with this theme that God is faithful. Do you believe that? That God is faithful to remember and act upon His promises to build His people and His church for His glory. And so as we've looked at these pages in Nehemiah and looked at that reality and what God is wanting the people of Israel to once again see, that their God is faithful in spite of their unfaithfulness, in spite of their rebellion, that God is faithful to remember and act upon His promises to the nation of Israel. And He does that through a man named Nehemiah. And God raises up Nehemiah to serve in the King Artaxerxes court, to have the opportunity and the influence and the platform to approach King Artaxerxes and to tell him of the condition of Jerusalem and to be able to go back to that city and to be able to have the means to pay to rebuild the wall so that that city of God can be safe once again and be restored once again. That through all of that... God's purpose for that provision is that so Israel would see again God's faithfulness to remember and act upon his promises to build his people and his nation for his glory. And on this side of the cross, we look at these pages of Nehemiah and we remind ourselves of the amazing reality that God is faithful to you. And he's faithful to you by remembering the promises that he's extended to you and to me to build you, to build me to rebuild what I've torn down, what sin has torn down, and to build that up through Jesus Christ, to build His people and to build His church, the, the mechanism that God has instituted to turn this world upside down for God's honor and God's glory, that He's going to build His people and His church for His glory. And that's what we've been looking at in this series. And I hope that even as you have done, I hope you've done this, and as I have done this, and remember this car that we passed out at the beginning of the series, and writing down, God, what are we praying that you will build in my life, that you have seen God answer things, you've seen God rebuild things, you've seen God build up your faith, you've seen God rebuild maybe something that's been torn down, so that you can, as we close out this series, celebrate that you have seen that God is indeed a God who builds. And so we're in Nehemiah uh, chapter 12, but before I read in Nehemiah chapter 12, I want to ask you a question. You ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready." ready. Okay, so here's the question. What brings you joy? What brings you joy? Think about that for a second. What brings you joy? And so as I asked myself that question this week, and as I pose it to you today I wonder if some of the things that I'm going to mention would be things that just came to your mind what about relationships you would say well man my my spouse brings me joy like my relationship with my husband or wife that brings me joy or maybe you would say man I just got engaged this week man that has brought me joy or I'm doing a wedding this afternoon. And so, so that couple is saying, would probably say if I asked them this question this morning, they would say, man, what brings me joy is I'm getting married today. So maybe you would say your relationships are what are bringing you joy. Maybe you might say this. Maybe you say my children are, is what is bringing me joy. Like, Can you remember the first time that, that you held your child for the very first time and all that emotion that overwhelmed you? Like I remember the first time I did that, and I held uh, our oldest child Lily in my arms, and all the emotions—the joy, the uh, fear, like all of that—that, that, but but just the amazing moment that it was to hold your child for the very first time. Maybe you just found out you're pregnant, and you're like, "Man, this is like so joyful and scary and all that stuff, all wrapped into one." So maybe maybe you would point to your kids. You say, man, that's what brings me joy. Maybe it's this, maybe, maybe you're home and maybe you just bought a new home and you're so excited about that and you're excited to decorate it and to move into it and make it your home. And you would say, if I ask that question, what brings you joy, that's what came to your mind. Maybe you sold a home and you're excited about moving into a new home. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's how you answer this question that I posed to you. What about this, maybe a job? Like, man, I've just hit a sweet spot in where I'm working. Or maybe it's this. Maybe you left a job that you hated, and you got a new job, and you got a new promotion. And you're just like, man, I'm so excited. I'm so joyful. Maybe that's you. What about this? Maybe a family vacation. Like, you're so excited. You've saved up. And you know when you're going this summer, and you're anxiously awaiting, and your kids are counting down the days, and, and that vacation is something that, that is bringing you joy as you anticipate it coming. Or maybe it's, this is the last one, maybe it's family, like family coming to visit. So some of you are like, you had me until you got to that. Okay, so if that's you, what about, think about family when they leave, right? And so you're like, man, that's what brings me joy. I hope there's not any family visiting right now. Because that person whose house you're staying at, they are not saying that you leaving is bringing them joy. Can I say that? All right, so maybe it's any one of those things or maybe there is something else. But here's what I want you to understand because as I thought about this question for my own life, Sadly, I had to say that there are times where I find myself looking for joy in an event, in a relationship, in a circumstance, in something that's bought, in something that's sold. And oftentimes, I find myself looking for joy from one event to the next. And you know what it's like? It's oftentimes when I operate that, it's like, it's like cotton candy, So I go, man, I'm looking for sweetness or joy in my life, and so I'm going to look for it in one of those things that I mentioned or maybe something else, and I I go after it. And, man, it's sweet. It's good. But in like five seconds, it's gone. It's gone. And so I'm like, well, man, that was good, and so can't wait for the next thing to happen or the next high or the next thing that I buy or, or the next relationship or whatever wow, I mean, I've walked in the doors this morning, and I'm just like super pumped until something happens, and now the sweetness is gone, and now I got to look for something else. See, here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with any of the things that I mentioned. They're great things. Praise God for my relationship with my spouse. And what it means to me. Praise God for the children that he's entrusted to me. Praise God for the home that we have to live in. Praise God for the job that I have. Praise God for for the family that I have and the opportunities that I have to see them. But here's the reality is every one of those things can easily bring disappointment. Can they not? They're going to. You may be in one of those spots right now. I mentioned your spouse and you're like, man, we are at odds. One person sees black, the other one sees white. Not bringing me joy right now. You say that about your kids, man. Right now, my kids are not bringing me joy. Right now, my job's not bringing me joy. Right now, my home, every stinking time, something breaks down, something else. Not bringing me joy. See, every one of those things that I mentioned they're great things, but I think they sometimes can be like cotton candy. They're sweet, nothing wrong with it. But if I'm looking for the joy that we find in the scriptures I'm going to realize it's not it. See, that's what I want to do this morning is I want to look at Nehemiah 12 as we get close to closing out this series. And here's the title of the message, How to Live with Joy. How do I live with joy? And so would you look at Nehemiah, we're actually going to begin reading in Nehemiah 12 verse 27, but remember what I told you, I'm not skipping past Nehemiah 11, what I'm going to do is summarize it, and if you want to read Nehemiah 11, I mean, I encourage you to read it this week and uh, pronounce all those names that are Nehemiah 11, like, I encourage you to do that. Um, it is God's Word, so I encourage you to do that, but Nehemiah 11, what we find is, what Nehemiah is doing is he's giving a list of names of people who have chosen to live in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And so he's giving those names. He's giving the heads of the households that are choosing to do that. Remember, that was talked about in Nehemiah 7 as well. And he's listing those names. And then we come into Nehemiah verse, uh, Nehemiah chapter 12. And in verses 1 through 26, what Nehemiah does is he gives a genealogy of the priests and the Levites that existed from the time of Zerubbabel. See, Zerubbabel was an individual that led the first group of Jews back to their homeland, there in the southern kingdom of Judah. Because if you remember, when Persia took over from Babylon, Persia's way of doing things is they would take those that are captive and actually allow them to go back to their homeland to once again inhabit their their cities and their countries, even though they were under Persian rule. And so Zerubbabel leads these people back, some 42,000 people back. And so what Nehemiah is doing is he's listing the genealogy of all the priests and the Levites that existed from that first venture that Zerubbabel led back to Jerusalem and back to Judah up to the current time. I think just to symbolize the importance of worship, even in spite of difficult circumstances. So now we come to verse 27, and I'm actually going to read this in verse 27. And it says, In the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, And at this dedication, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing. So in other words, where we find ourselves in Nehemiah 12 is we find the people of of, of Judah, of, of this city, gathering together outside of these city walls, and, and culminating here at, the wor- at worship at the temple, and they are at having a massive party in celebration with thanksgiving, with singing, to celebrate what God has done. That's where we find ourselves. It's this awesome, amazing party of celebration and singing. And look at what it says in verse 28. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and the villages of Netta, Phathites, also with Ben Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates of the wall. And then I brought, Nehemiah speaking, then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs to give thanks. And you see there at the end of verse 36, Ezra the scribe went before them. And look at verse 38. And the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people. So what happens is they're having this massive celebration, and they're singing, and they're celebrating God for His goodness, and seeing what God has done, and seeing once again Him for who He is. And then Nehemiah says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to gather together two choirs. And one choir is going to be led by Ezra, and he's going to start at the south. And another choir is going to be led by myself, and we're going to start to the north. And we're going to, as we walk along the walls of that city, we're going to gather together at the temple, and we're just going to have a massive celebration for what God has done. Now, We find ourselves, look at what it says in verse 43, after they got done with this processional around the walls, verse 43, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. If you're writing in your Bible and you know that I'm a big proponent of that, I want you to underline this. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. God made them. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. I told you the title of this message was How to Live with Joy. And what I love when you read these verses in chapter 12 is is you're reminded of the story of these people all the way back to the beginning of Nehemiah and before where the people of God had lost their way. That's what caused them to go into captivity is they forgot who their God was. They forgot his greatness. They forgot his goodness. They forgot his graciousness to them. They forgot that. And so as a sign of judgment and discipline, God allows the people of Israel to be brought in captivity. But what I love is now we find ourselves in chapter 12, and their eyes once again are renewed in understanding and believing and seeing that the person that they were, and the thing that they were trying to to find For their joy was always God. And they're reminded of that here in this chapter. And it says that God caused them to rejoice. Because they once again saw him for who he was. See, here's a definition for joy that I want to give you. And I encourage you, if you're taking notes or if you're not taking notes, man, I want you to write this down, because joy, as I mentioned already, so often we look for those things in all the wrong places, though those things aren't wrong, but so often we look at it because we don't really understand what joy that's mentioned in the Scriptures, what it is. And here's the definition that I came up with. Joy is a supernatural delight and a settled assurance in God's faithfulness, that that's joy. Joy is a supernatural delight. It's not something that I can manufacture on my own, but it's produced in me by something, or should I say someone other than myself. We'll talk about that in a second. It's a supernatural delight, and it's also a settled assurance, a settled assurance in God's faithfulness. And when I have that joy, there's this, supernatural delight and settled assurance in God's faithfulness that what? That God is faithful in all the details of my life. Every one of them. Isn't that our definition of the God who builds? He's faithful to remember and act upon his promises. That there's this supernatural delight and settled assurance that God's in control of all the details of my life. But that also, that... Supernatural delight and settled assurance also helps me to ultimately understand that everything is going to be all right. And when I have that supernatural delight and settled and settled assurance in God's faithfulness, here's what it produces: it, it it's a joy that produces a determined choice. To praise God in every situation. It's a choice. That that joy produces that I'm going to praise God in every situation. Not that every situation is good, but I'm going to praise that this is a situation that is going to show me that God is still faithful. That's what he's working in me. That's why some of you who sit in this room right now, we have people in this room that have cancer. We have people in this room that don't know if their child's going to live. We have people in this room that are walking through difficult circumstances in their relationships or whatever it may be. And I've seen in some of you this type of joy, that it cannot be explained in human terms. There's no reason why you should have joy. You know why? Because it's a supernatural delight and a settled assurance in God's faithfulness. I don't know about you, but I want that. I don't want the candy, cotton candy experience. There's nothing wrong with it. But I want something that's going to last more than a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a few years, a few minutes. I want that type of joy. Do you want that, I hope you do. Here's why I say it's a supernatural delight. John 15, if you want to turn there, you can. I encourage you to write John 15, right next, verses 5 and 11, right next to Nehemiah 12, verse 43. Here's what Jesus says. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's giving an illustration that says, listen, you can't bear fruit. You can't manifest this type of joy without abiding in me. Just like I could go home today and go to one of my hedges and cut off a branch and that branch being removed from that trunk, from that life source, from those roots, that branch is not going to live on its own because it's not connected to the source of life. So that's what Jesus is saying, that when I try to look to produce the fruit that lasts, as Galatians 5.22 says, one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. That that can only be produced when I am abiding in the vine, when I'm walking with Jesus, when I'm growing in my relationship with him. And then look at verse 11. He says, these things I've spoken to you. Why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's why I said joy is a supernatural delight. I can't manifest it on my own. It's a spiritual thing, not a natural thing. The type of joy that lasts even through the ups and the downs. That type of joy. Can't manufacture that on my own. So how do we live our Christian life with joy? Hopefully that's the question you're asking. Like how do I live my Christian life with joy? And what I want to do this morning is I want to give you three daily choices that we need to make to experience this type of joy. Three daily choices. And we're going to find that in Nehemiah 12. Three daily choices. Now let me once again emphasize that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a natural thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a supernatural delight according to our definition and a settled assurance in God's faithfulness. So that, is, that comes when I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. His perfect life in replace of my sinful life. His death on the cross, the death that I deserve for my sin. His resurrection that gives me hope today and a settled assurance and a supernatural delight in God's faithfulness. That that's where my joy is found and the Holy Spirit comes to reside inside of me. And when I'm walking in fellowship with Him, part of the fruit of that relationship is this joy. But I can easily suppress that when I look for it in other things. So how do we live in this type of joy? Like how do we experience that? Three daily choices. Here's the first one. Choose to celebrate. Choose to celebrate. Look at what it says in verse 27 again. It says in the dedication of the wall, so they gather together, and and what's going on here? Look at what it says. It, It says they gather together to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres, that they gathered together for what purpose? To celebrate. It's a daily choice that I need to make, that today I am going to choose to celebrate And that celebration is rooted in a thankful heart. It's kind of hard for me to celebrate if I'm unthankful. Wouldn't you agree? It's kind of hard for that to happen. And as I sit outside and I see this crowd that's here today, and I even think about my own life, I think of every day that God gives me to serve Him, that it gives me life, that when I get up, I have the choice to either celebrate or be a cynic. So do you. I have a choice. Am I going to choose to celebrate today? Who God is, his character and his competency. Am I going to live in that joy? Am I going to allow myself to have a supernatural delight and a settled assurance in God's faithfulness? Well, then I need to choose to celebrate. Or am I going to face the day today, maybe you are already in this place, or tomorrow and say, no, I'm going to choose to be a cynic. Here's what I mean. Am I going to choose to be someone who is thankful or am I going to choose to be someone who is negative and pessimistic? Those are the choices every day that I wake up. And so what I want to do quickly is I just want to give you some things to help you identify which one are you. Are you someone who celebrates? Are you somebody who's always cynical and negative? Here's the first one. I choose to celebrate when I, here's the first one, reflect on God's grace and mercy. That when I'm reflecting on God's grace and mercy in my life, what he's given me that I don't deserve, Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be God the Father who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I'm so thankful that he says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and not just concentrating on every physical blessing on earth. Because I can't take that with me. It's going to wear out. Those in and of themselves are cotton candy. Not bad, but man, I'm thankful that he says he's blessed me with every spiritual blessing. The things that can never be taken away. The things that I always have. It's in the heavenly places. And I wonder every day that I get up, I have the choice, I'm going to celebrate. And here's why I'm going to celebrate. Here's how I'm going to celebrate. Man, I'm going to reflect on God's grace and mercy in my life today. God, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that. But God, thank you so much for what you did here and what you did there and what you did yesterday. And God, I'm going to concentrate on, I'm going to reflect on your grace and mercy. But when I'm a cynic, here's what happens. I reflect on the thought that I know what's best. You know what feels negativity? Is when I think I know everything, and then when I realize or when I think that I know everything, I'm setting myself up for disappointments. So I walk around being negative, and i was like, why did they do that here? Why didn't they do this here? Why isn't this this way? Why isn't that that way? Why did this person say this and not say this? Why did this person treat me this way and not treat me that way? You know what that's rooted in? You believing you know best about everything. And so when someone doesn't do exactly what you want, you get negative. Why? Because you think you know what's best. Just evaluate. If you've come in here and you're negative today. Well, that person didn't say this. That person didn't say hello to me. They didn't sing the song that I liked. They, The child worker that I normally like that my kid loves so much wasn't serving today. Why didn't Jacob schedule them today? Why didn't Gray pick that song? Why didn't this happen? Why didn't that happen? You know what's rude in that? You think you know what's best about everything. So you can never be pleased because no one's ever going to ever do something your way all the time, every time. See, when I'm choosing to be a cynic, it's rooted in this thing that I believe I know what's best. But someone who chooses to celebrate says, wait a minute, man, I'm just reflecting on God's grace and mercy. I don't deserve anything. What about the second thing? See, I think also when I choose to celebrate, here's what else I'm doing. I'm reflecting on God's blessings. Past, present, and future. I'm reflecting on God's blessings. You know, every once in a while, I have to take this, take this inventory because my mind can easily become a cynic. I mean, that's how I'm wired. I told you this before. When I look at something, I am real quick to always point out what's wrong with something. Well, that's a way that could be done better, and that's a way that that could be done better, and that's a way that that could be done better. It especially happens when I'm in line at grocery stores or shopping places. This, this should be done this way. This should be done this way. This would be done more efficient. You know, I can easily slip into being a cynic. Super easy. you know what I have to do oftentimes to bring myself back is I need to just, I just like, okay, God, I'm just going to take time and I'm going to reflect on so many of the blessings that you've done in my life, past, present, and even future in who I am and where I know I'm going when I pass from this life to the next. God, I'm just going to reflect on your blessings. But here's what a cynic does. He reflects on today's disappointments and tomorrow's unknowns. think about it when you went to bed last night what did you think about did you go to bed disappointed and say well this wasn't done and that wasn't done and that didn't happen the way that I wanted to and god didn't work out out the way that I wanted it to and it's all disappointment 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 turn to your spouse you're in the bed now you're going to cause them to struggle with being cynical or tomorrow's unknowns, what if this happens, what if that happens, what if this works out this way, what if this person says this, what if they don't say this, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? See, when I operate like that, cynicism is the result. And it's going to cause me not to experience the joy that frankly is inside of me, that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in me, rather than saying, man, God, Let me just take time when I'm so tempted right now to go to cynicism. God, let me just take time and let me just remind myself of the ways that you have blessed. God, let me go back when I'm praying for whatever right now and it doesn't seem to be happening and I want to go to cynicism because I'm feeling disappointment. God, let me reflect back in my life and look at the times where I prayed for you to say yes, but you said no and I'm so thankful that you did. It's a choice to celebrate. It's a daily choice. And it fans the flame in our soul so that we can experience joy. Here's, here's the last one I came up with. That I'm choosing to celebrate when I reflect on God's promises. And I'm a cynic when I reflect on what I believe is impossible. One of my favorite verses is a little short verse in 2 Corinthians 1.20 where Paul says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, in Jesus. Like, what an amazing verse that that is. That if I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He is the assurance that every one of God's promises can also be experienced in my life. Let me reflect on that. Let me make the choice to celebrate that rather than wanting to go to viewing everything as impossible. God can't do that. It's too far for God. Too much sin there. Relationship too far gone. Circumstances too far gone. And viewing everything as impossible, impossible, impossible. Instead of bringing myself back to, wait a minute, Jesus Christ and what he did for me brings me back to the reality that God is the God of the Impossible. Choose to celebrate. See, here's what concerns me. There's people in this room that are choosing to be a cynic, and you don't even realize it. Newsflash. Does anybody here, by raise of hand, enjoy being around a cynic? I'm shocked that no one's raising their hand. I remember one time being in a car with someone, And I don't even remember where we were driving, but I remember they were driving and I was in the passenger seat and it was literally two hours of negativity and cynicism. And this person was a follower of Jesus Christ for all I I know. And I remember literally in that car thinking about an hour into the trip and looking at how fast he was going and looking at the passenger door and literally thinking to myself, If I jumped out right now, how bad would it be and would I still be able to survive? Newsflash, nobody wants to be around a cynic. Because it robs you of your joy. And nobody wants to be around someone who's robbed of their joy and tries to rob your joy. And the daily choice that we need to make, that I see the people of Israel make here, is they, because they realize once again that, Lord, we've looked for everything to be our joy. And now we realize once again that you are what it has always been. We're going to choose to celebrate. Here's the second choice choose to surrender. Choose to surrender. Because what I see in verse 27 is they have this dedication. And the word dedicate literally means to offer, to give. Like they don't have this big celebration and coronation so that they can say, Hey, guys, we high five. We built the wall in 52 days. And we gave our money so that we could have the supplies for it to be rebuilt. Man, isn't it amazing what we have done? It's not what you see. The word literally means to give or to offer. What they are saying is, God, it's only by your grace and your mercy and your faithfulness and your promises that you allowed us to rebuild this wall in 52 days and you gave us the means and the resources to be able to accomplish it. God, how awesome you are. And our only choice that we could possibly make in light of that is not just to celebrate, but also to say, God, we're gonna surrender to you. We're gonna make the choice, the daily choice, to surrender, to surrender. Look at what it says in verse 30. It says, And the priests and the Levites, they purified themselves. In other words, they said, we're about to worship God, so we are going to take time according to Levitical law, and we're going to purify ourselves. We're going to wash ourselves, symbolizing that we're about to worship God, and we need to make ourselves clean. We need to set ourselves apart. We need to be surrendered to God. And then it says, and they purified the people. Like all the people said, wait a minute, what God wants from us is for us to be surrendered, to be set apart. And then they even do that with the gates and the walls. See, when I make the choice to surrender, here is what I'm saying. It's God's way, by God's word, with God's strength. That's what surrender is. When I choose to surrender, I'm saying, God, it's your way. Not my way, it's your way, it's God's way. It's your way, it's by your word because that's how I found out, find out your way or your will, it's God's way with God's word and here's an important aspect, it's not with my strength but it's with God's strength. That's what surrender is. That when I say God, every day I'm making the choice to surrender, that every day that I wake up I'm saying God it's your way, it's not my way. And I find that out by getting into your word. And Lord, I face the day and I want to choose to experience joy. So I need to make the choice to surrender. God, it's with your strength. Can't miss that part. Because if we miss that part and we go out, we walk out of these doors and we go into every day saying, I think I can, newsflash, you're gonna fall flat on your face. Because it's God's way, with God's word, but here with God's Strength. I mean, Paul even speaks to that in Ephesians 1. He says it's according to the greatness of his power that dwells within us. See, I think to myself that when I stop experiencing joy and start looking to other things to satisfy what only the joy that God has put in my heart through the Holy Spirit can can solve. It's a result of a divided heart. Like I'm trying, to wor- I'm trying to be surrendered to two things, and that can't happen. James 1 says when we do that, we're double-minded, we're unstable in all of our ways. It's a result of a divided heart. And that's why every day, that's why it's a daily choice of surrender, that I'm constantly looking and saying, where in my life am I not aligned With God's way and God's word. Where am I not aligned? So where I'm not aligned, I'm going to say, God, according to your way and your word with your strength. God, I'm going to surrender that. This seems off here. God, I want to surrender that again. God, my life, I seem to be looking to other things to give me what only you can give me, to give me that joy. God, I'm going to surrender that. I'm going to surrender myself. God, it's your way with your strength according to your word. It's a daily choice of surrender you even see that with David in Psalm 51 where he where he had sin with Bathsheba he was looking to Bathsheba to give him something that he already had with God and when he realizes that and he sins and he repents he repents with this prayer in Psalm 51 and the result is he says let me hear joy and gladness as a result when I make the daily choice to surrender I foster that joy and here's the last thing Here's the last choice that I see in this text. Not just that we need to make the daily choice to choose to celebrate, to choose to surrender. Here's the third one. And I need to make the daily choice to worship. That's right. The daily choice to worship. You know, in verses 31 through 39, I mentioned this when we read the text at the beginning of this message. Ezra leads this one group, this one choir that starts in the south. Of the walls, and Et, Nehemiah leads this other crowd that starts in the north. And I, I can only imagine what that walk must have been like. Where they're walking around those walls and they're thinking to themselves, remember, every person put their hands to work to rebuild those walls and rebuild those gates. Can you imagine one family they're walking around with their children hand in hand and they're saying to themselves, remember how hard it was? To build that, that gate and that wall? Remember when we saw that thing in ruin day after day after day after day and thought it was impossible for God to rebuild that thing? And do you remember how, what, what it felt like to see that thing rebuilt and to see it once again built up what was torn down? And as they walked along those walls, them reflecting on the ways that they saw God restore what was broken. What an amazing time that must have been and as it culminates as we see in verse in verse 40 through 43 and it culminates there at the center there at the temple which just tells me that at the center of me experiencing joy it's about the worship of who God is and these people worship God because here's what he did he restored their identity He restored their identity. That's what my worship is made up of. I worship when I remind myself of my identity in Jesus Christ. That fuels my worship. Because worship is an everyday activity of the heart. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? Worship is an everyday activity of the heart, of what I choose to worship. And Israel's worship was rooted in God has restored back our identity, and that's symbolized by the walls being rebuilt. And it's symbolized with what God has done in his people. He's restored our identity. Think about it. When you meet someone new, what do you ask them? What's a, what's a common question you ask them? Right? You ask them what? What do you do? Right? We moved into a neighborhood recently. And the question that I always get that honestly it may not, it may not concern you, but it concerns me that when the neighbors come and we're walking or they come up to our door or whatever it is, which, man, super friendly here in North Carolina. That doesn't happen in Naples. But someone knocks on my door or I'm talking to them in the driveway, and you know what they always ask me? What do you do? And I'm like, here we go. So I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. They, They normally just walk a little faster, right? And then I think to myself, all right, so... They know we're going to talk about Jesus at some point, so I literally want to say, "Do you want to do this now, or you just want to wait a couple weeks, because we're going to do this. But isn't that a question that, that you ask and is asked of you, what do you do? And that's all fine, but what I'm concerned about is oftentimes we define ourselves by that. Hear me on this: God doesn't label you by your sin. God doesn't label you by your status. God doesn't label you by your salary. God doesn't label you by your circumstances. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he labels you as a child of the king. He's restored your identity. He's restored what I've broken. And today, if I am a child of God, I need to allow my identity and who I have been made in Jesus Christ to fuel my daily choice to worship him. I'm not my sin, I'm not my salary, I'm not my status, I'm not my circumstances. I'm a child of the king and let me make the daily choice to worship him. It's the source, it's what fuels the joy that God has put in me. It's that supernatural delight and settled assurance and God's faithfulness that everything is going to work out for God's glory and my good. Let me bring myself back to that. I love what 1 Peter 2 9 and 10 says just about our identity. And I actually, if you have your Bible, man, turn there because I want you to do some writing as we close out this message this morning. And every time you see the word you, I want you to put your name. Because Peter says, you put my name, Johnny, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, Johnny, Ray, Tom, Cindy, Jamie, Heather, put your name there, that you may proclaim the excellencies of of, of him who called you, Johnny, out of darkness into his marvelous light, Once, Johnny, Susie, Marilyn, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When's the last time you reflected on that? When's the last time you've allowed that? To be the motivation to say, Man, I'm making the daily choice to celebrate. I'm making the daily choice to surrender. It's your way, God, by your word, with your strength. I'm going to make the daily choice to surrender and I'm going to make the daily choice to worship. God, what I've been looking for all along or what I've wandered to look for, God, it's always been you. You're the source of my joy. It's you, and only you. And as I close, what I love and what I want to say is that when I look at the end of verse 43, I see this amazing reality that is sombering. That tells me that my choice to worship and to celebrate and to surrender joyfully just doesn't affect me. Because I don't know if you noticed, but at the end of verse 43, it doesn't just say that the men rejoiced, but it says the women and the children also rejoiced. Hey guys, look at me. You're a dad, you're a husband today. God has given you the responsibility to take the lead on this. Because how you walk in joy, and how you celebrate, and how you surrender, and how you worship, sets the tone for your household. It doesn't mean that wives and mothers and ladies you're not responsible for that as well. But what I see also is then it affects the kids, and I wonder. I've asked myself this week, man would would my kids say about my home? Man, that's a place of joy. And I want us to bring ourselves back to this amazing place of joy. The supernatural delight and settled assurance in God's faithfulness. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life.